uh, this is kind of sad, but once you get to a lot of sub-Saharan African countries, you're in the five, seven, six percent. Chad is at five percent. Eritrea, uh, which is in East Africa, one point four percent, and then yeah. North Korea, zero point zero eight percent. Talk about just the ruling class. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Crypto Basic Podcast. My name is Kareem Baruch, and I'm here today with my co-host, Brent Philbin. Hey, what is going on, everybody? It's Flagship Friday. <laughs> Flagship Friday time, and of course, that is when we discuss news, current events in the crypto world, and of course, around the world. We're going to have an interesting one on that today. Oh, uh, this episode should be released Friday, February 22nd. Um, but Brent, why don't we start with letting the audience know what's coming up? All right. So, yeah, we've got uh, we've got a couple cool interviews coming up. Well, one interview and one roundtable. We got we, we have Luke Mulks from Brave coming back. We're going to talk about the broken ad industry and uh, and kind of what Brave has done to fix it. Because the Brave ads platform where you get paid to see ads on your, on your browser is live. So it's well it's beta but it's live so he will uh kind of go over that if you actually want to participate in it uh it's an uncompensated episode i just thought it would be cool and uh so he's gonna be on the show and also we're gonna have brian lee and william mckenzie back to have a little bit of a discussion about what it's like to end up being the boogeyman to a to a community in crypto or maybe any community we're gonna kind of go over that and see what happens because they have been vilified by uh, a certain community that we may mention a little bit later in the show. <laughs> and I think you got one more update. Yeah, duh. We're going to South by Southwest. I just got approved for uh, media passes for South by Southwest. I'm not speaking at this one, but depending on what Kareem's flying situation is, we may both be here. It may just be me, but the yeah, we're we're gonna cover South by Southwest. So we already we mentioned it in the Discord, and we had some of the members already put up some suggestions on what they wanted to see us cover, who they wanted us to talk to. So we're gonna try to get those interviews and try to cover what is important to you, the listeners. And South by Southwest <laughs> is sweet. It's like it's a two week long conference, music festival film festival something other festival in austin texas so happens to be my current home amazing yep 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 and get your couch ready brent yeah yeah i don't have a couch yet so i i am getting it ready get your floor ready brent (laughs) yeah i i don't really even have a floor yet either i have somebody else's floor but (laughs) oh my lord what is going on (laughs) it's pretty it's pretty rough but i will uh i'll get something ready we're gonna, we'll be ready to go as 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 much as I can be. <laughs> All right, and I know that you want to make a promise here, so let's hear it, Brent. Oh yeah, I feel bad. We did not release an extra episode this week. I just did not find the time. So we're gonna make sure to make it up to you next week, and there will be three episodes next week instead of two. So those both Whoa. of those interviews that I just spoke on will release next week. Oh, awesome. Fantastic. All right. And, uh, oh, oh, Lordy. All right. We have, an, uh, we have one more announcement. Yes, we Go do ahead, have one more announcement. The I, w- I want to know, listeners, if you think we should be called something other than the basic bitches, because the vote is coming. 
Uh, we, we held the vote off a little bit because one of the Discord members wanted to get something set up. We may have like the basic bitches tipping bot in the Discord soon. I'm not really sure which would be <laughs> tipping basic bitch uh, Ethereum tokens. But in the meantime, if you think you should be called something other than basic bitches, reach out to us at yeah. CryptoBasicPodcast at gmail.com and give us a better name. Kareem would love you <laughs> if it was anything else. <laughs> I love you anyway because you're listening. Yeah, I'm talking <laughs> to you right there with the headphones. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so. All right. All right. Kareem, before we go forward, I do have to take a second to talk about Token Talks. The Token Talks podcast. That's right. I'm talking about talks on a podcast about a podcast. Anyway, Token Talks podcast. They are another podcast. They're at wing.vc slash podcast. Uh, they are hosted by Zachary DeWitt. They do a lot of different content than us, but still from the realm of having their listeners' interests at heart. So they are part of a venture capital firm that invests in companies, but they... Their podcast is very specifically about information. It's a little bit more technical, a little bit more about the interviews. And what they do is post that information, link everything, and let you make your own decisions on that kind of thing. So if you're interested in some more crypto content, that's good. Check them out. Obviously, as we said before, this is a sponsored shout-out. We were being compensated for this, so that's important to know. Always know the biases of where you're getting your information, but understand that we did look into this before we accepted them as a sponsor and we're happy to have them on board. So let them know crypto basic sent you. So that way they know that their sponsorship worked out and otherwise let's get back to flagship Friday. Uh, let's get right into the news. Brent Samsung. Yeah. The new phone is coming out. I know degenerate Brahmin was hitting us up with some of the links, uh, but Tell me about this phone because I feel like I'm ready for an upgrade. I'm on Samsung Galaxy 6, I'm ashamed to say. Wow. I'm not really ashamed to say, but I'm just always behind the times. I know, four generation. And it still does everything. I feel like the old guy now. My phone knows everything I need. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I don't want to be like a salesperson for it, but I already pre-ordered my S10+. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Of course you did. Hold on a second, actually. What? Brent, Brent, hold on. I just want to clarify to the audience, that's not necessarily a stamp of approval. Brent pre-orders every single phone that comes out. Yes. Like, <laughs> this I've is had Zemo. every Samsung since the S7 Edge. And before that, I had every iPhone and then realized that Android was far superior. So I stuck with them. I've even had a few. I had like a couple. Send your emails to Crypto Basic Podcast. I, I am a little bit regretting it because there's a there's a foldable Motorola phone coming out that's called the Razer V4. <laughs> They're like trying to revive that line for the cool phone from our high school. And it's got a foldable screen. But I there's also a Samsung foldable screen coming out. So I don't feel that bad. Anyway, this is a crypto show, Kareem. So we're not just talking about phones. We're talking about phones being shipped from the factory with a hard wallet for your cryptocurrency on them so they yeah the samsung s10 has a cryptocurrency wallet called the samsung Knox. now we don't know details we know it exists because it was on the phone in the presentations and the company has made a quick statement 
about it saying yes it is a it is for blockchain uh especially for blockchain enabled apps and it will be standard on the phone so we mentioned this on a previous show and it was just a rumor this is now confirmed that this will be on there we don't know the features we don't know how it's going to generate its keys or anything like that but we just know that it's going to be there if they if they do it right and they didn't miss any of the mark on how crypto works I believe this could be extremely cool for adoption because this is this is just think about the apps that are standard and shipped with a phone. It's like Facebook. If it's if it's a T-Mobile phone, it's a bunch of shitty T-Mobile apps. And, you know, the the real base stuff that you need to run a phone. But we're, we're talking it's now in the top 25 apps that. Samsung has decided to include in a phone in its original ship. And if it integrates with Samsung Pay in any way, that is going to be really cool. Yeah, Brent. Also, this phone is supposed to come up with really cool, um, like better biometric security stuff, you know, because for the most part, that has kind of progressed slowly. You know, it's we've had the fingerprint scanners and everything, but they haven't been really functional. This one's supposed to be pretty sick. And I wonder if that would also be ever yeah it's true Um, it's built into the screen on this one so there's no like fingerprint sensor that you have to go find on the back of the phone like it's g-spot it legitimately is just like built into the glass (laughs) and you just touch it i swear to god i don't know if you've ever seen like me do the the fingering of the like fingerprint sensor but it's like back here and you have to like not put your finger over the over the lenses you have to kind of go like that so yeah, it is It is super cool. I mean, I could get into a thousand features and make it better than the S6 because it's got a lot of really cool stuff. But um, <laughs> So you think I should upgrade, Brent? Yes, yes. I think you definitely should upgrade. One of my favorite features, being my own self and all the stuff that I have, is it is its own wireless charger. So you can put like your Samsung earbuds just like on the back of your phone while it's upside down and it'll charge them. Or you can put your watch on top of the phone while it's upside down and it'll charge your watch so it's ah, you don't have to have cool like a if i had wireless thing. headphones or a wireless watch yeah hmm. <laughs> pretty sweet all right any cool any any extra cool features we should know about or any other this isn't samsung related but it, you can get this now kareem even though you don't have anything more than the samsung s6 the um google keyboard if you press and hold the dollar sign, it gives you options for other currencies. There's only like six or seven of them, and Bitcoin symbol is now one of them. I looked back; it was not the Thai bot; it was Bitcoin. <laughs> so the, <laughs> that's kind of cool. Mass adoption. You can now put it in a text message next to an emoji hey. of somebody crying about how much the price is. Yeah, but once like now that it's been codified in emoji, it's in society for life. Yes. So that's it's going to be on Tinder profiles sick. and Instagram pictures. It's going to be like over top of somebody's duck face. They're going to have be going like this with the with their fingers duck duck facing it and there'll be a, a Bitcoin symbol like over their eyes. That's what's going to happen. All right, Brent, let's switch things over at this time to Ethereum and this uh transaction which happened for a pretty reasonable price, it seems like. Tell us yes. about it. So there was a an Ethereum transaction where somebody set the transaction fee to twenty one hundred Ethereum to send point zero one Ethereum. So that means that they paid over three hundred thousand dollars at the time it was sent. Uh, I think on uh, Tuesday for one transaction and. 
Before I get into like a little bit more specifics of what happened here, this brings up some some concerns. I mean, we we have concerns of different pieces of things for mass adoption, but this is one of them. If you have to be your own regulator and you can't call Bank of America to reverse a mistake, and you're like, oh my god, I just sent a thousand dollars to the wrong person, help me cancel that check or whatever. This is as simple as a typo. I'm surprised this doesn't happen more. You know, I guess maybe they were trying to write the gas number in there or something. I'm not really sure how this ended up being as high as it was, but there's no reversal here. Like, you can't get this back. That's the the thing about immutability. Every time I'm going to send a crypto transaction, I'm like looking at the screen. I'm like copy pasting and looking and triple checking. (laughs) I'm like, it's like when you keep looking at your cards and you're like, they're not going to change. But let me just keep looking just in case. Yeah, or when they, or when you turn your hand over, and this this is the equivalent of turning your hand over and being like, I got two pair. Oh wait, fuck! <laughs> and and, and uh, yeah. then you actually didn't. You had you had nine eight, not nine seven, and you somehow forgot it this over the course of the hand. Uh, so yeah, and then how are you going to recover a transaction fee too? That's even crazier, you know. Like if you had sent it to somebody, yeah, you could at least beg them to send it back. Yeah, it's like oof. Yeah, this is a transaction fee, so it goes to whoever mined the block. So here's who mined the block. There's a group called Spark Pool that is a mining pool, and they actually did not pay it out to their to, to their miners. They held it back and they said, this is obviously something bad that happened. This was not intentional and we are not going to pay this out to our miners. Uh, we're going to investigate and see what we should do about this. So they kind of played the part of the bank here and are. I think trying to give it back to the person who, I mean, they haven't done it yet. They're investigating, which is fair to make an investigation. And they are, I think considering sending it back to that address. Interestingly enough, this wasn't the only transaction. This is the one that got all the hype on Reddit, but there is a blockchain analysis firm called Amber data, uh, Jonas Espanol, or maybe Juanes Espanol. If it's, in Spanish, I guess. Um, so the it, they figured out that it was actually likely a bot of some kind that was programmed incorrectly because there were four more blocks that were mined that had a total transaction fee combined of 1,800 Ethereum. So it wasn't just the 2,100. This is almost approaching like $550,000 of transaction fees in five transactions. So the the jury's out on whether the other mining pools are going to do anything or whether Sparkpool will give it back or if they'll just say, sorry about your luck. But hopefully they do. I hope they do. You know, I don't want anybody to learn that hard of a lesson and or especially a coder. But they did mention this is why it's important to have a third party look at your code and really audit it a lot because it's real easy to make a mistake in coding. A lot easier to make a mistake in coding than it is to do a typo even because... Absolutely. All the typos exist in coding. Plus, you need to have all that advanced knowledge to know where you are in the chain of logic and all that stuff. So that was the that was the end of it. That oh, yeah, ended up being more stuff. interesting than I thought because if I originally I thought it was just going to be kind of a funny meme and I wasn't going to include it, but it was a nice rabbit hole. No, absolutely. It's cool. Cool. I mean, depends. I want to say maybe depends on your perspective, of course, but it's interesting that these self-assembled mining pools are like you said, fulfilling certain roles such as being able to identify and say, hey, look, this is clearly, you know what I'm saying? They're looking out in the best interest there of the ecosystem. 
which is really interesting uh, as far as incentives and stuff like that. And, um, you know, as far as the spot, the first thought I had when you said that was like, this might actually make it so that the person whose money it is, I mean, if it's themselves, it was the mistake, their own mistake with the bot, right? But if it was like, what if somebody hired somebody to program that bot? Well, now that that person's liable, right? Like, even if you couldn't recover the fees, you could sue the programmer or something. Yeah, like that's that, interesting. I, I wonder if you could, or or maybe it was an exchange or something. Like, I don't know. There, there's it's a, it's an interesting right. thing to follow. I, we probably won't follow up on it unless I somehow catch it going across my newsfeed. But it would be an interesting thing to follow up on. So I I'd like to see the outcome of that. Anyway, Kareem, you're about to tell us something. That is so mind-blowing. This title, I cannot believe it. There's no way this is true. Breaking news, Brent. Um, Vitalik Buterin is rich. Wow. You don't say. The creator of Ethereum is rich, Kareem? (laughs) Yes, that is correct, Brent. But actually, that is not what this story is about. Of course, I mean, it kind of is. It sort of is. But... It turns out that Vitalik was recently doing a Reddit AMA, and in an effort to be more transparent, he decided to disclose a bunch of his crypto holdings, corporate investments, and other um, interests, which is cool because he's one of the leading figures in this space. So, you know, kind of like when ESPN breaks down somebody's salary, oh my God, and he's going to get a $10 million next bonus next year if he blah, 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 and he has to play 18 games. So this is kind of like a little look at... The world of a crypto uh, colossus. So, shocker here. Most of his assets are in Ethereum. Uh, the man's got over no 50,000 Ethereum. <laughs> yeah. He's got over 50,000 Ethereum, which is worth about uh, a little over $50 million right now. He said, that, I like this quote. He said he's got some other ones, other ad- wallets. Like, this is the one wallet with $50 million. Um, He's like, I got some other ones, but they're quite small relatively speaking (laughs) so i was like oh yeah relatively speaking that means you could have like eight or nine with a quarter million each and you could just be like what that's just like 0.005 percent yeah it's pretty relative (laughs) you know yeah it's less than half of one percent (laughs) yeah anyway uh Uh, he's got of course some erc20 tokens brent and what are they? He's got about 25K in Kyber Network. That's kind of uh, a weird one. 625K in Maker. He's got 40K in Omisigo. He's got some Augur. I wonder how many of these were because of an advising role or an air or something like that. that yeah, just, I wonder. I, I feel he like he definitely him. was on Omisigo. Uh, I don't know about Augur. Yeah. Kyber is kind of weird. He could have been airdrop too. Like if they know which one is Vitalik's wallet, they might just be like, here, Lord and Savior, have some money. Um, yeah, or just a regular, by the way, just regular airdrop. He does have 50,000. Yeah, Ethereum, that's so true. <laughs> if, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So he probably has a lot just from airdrops. Uh, Having 625,000 in Maker is pretty interesting. He, I don't know that he's a, an advisor on that project, but that's an interesting thought because the Maker, that's not specifically die. That is, that is actually the Maker token. So that's kind of, that's kind of cool. I've been noticing that one be, like moving its way up the charts. So, Ooh, spoiler alert, we may mention Tether a little bit later this episode. Stable hmm. coins. Interesting. Uh, so, the rest of his portfolio looks like he's mostly got Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Catch, Doge. Doge! And yes! He's got Doge, which... It, how does that not surprise me somehow? That Vitalik would have some Doge and be yeah. like, yeah, for sure. I feel like I everybody mean. should have some Doge. <laughs> yeah, he's got... He's like, I, you know, I... I spend my Doge to buy my unicorn shirts. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> anyway, no, no, he mines Doge cool. by clapping. Like when he when he claps, yeah, he gets, he gets like a little bit of Doge each time. Yeah. Uh, one Doge equal one Doge. But um, significant corporate holdings. He is a major shareholder of two corporations. One of them is called Clearmatics, and it's a software and blockchain research and development company, which, of course, makes sense. And he was actually the co-founder. Their mission is to, quote-unquote, build peer-to-peer infrastructure for a machine-driven future that is resistant to the monopoly-making tendencies of network effects inherent in today's client-server architectures. So... Making it sound like they're fighting for justice and decentralization and anti-monopoly. I love it. So they're going to hack Amazon? Is that like the goal of the the firm? Um, Sure. That's one of the Must be it. Sure. Sure. Uh, They raised $13.3 million when they started Brent. And they are, of course, associated and partnered up with the Ethereum Foundation and the Ethereum Enterprise Alliance. And he's got another uh, company called Starkware which is focused on scalability and privacy-related uh, stuff with blockchain. I imagine lastly, that's related has, to Elizabeth Stark, right? I, I mean, I didn't, I don't know what it is, but that sounds like it's probably something that she created. Sounds pretty Which dope. would be Maybe. the Lightning we'll Network-ish. Yeah, I'm actually... Uh, well, let's put it here on the side. And then lastly, he does have a $150,000 salary from the Ethereum Foundation. At least it was 150K <laughs> in... Uh, 2016 that might change so he's kind of like the president where he gets this like meaningless salary (laughs) it's like yeah he gets 150,000 a year right here the salary i would venture to guess that the majority of the ethereum community is okay with some amount of ethereum going to vitalik getting salary (laughs) um are you implying that the majority of the american community is not happy with the president getting salary (laughs) no 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 that's not what i was saying at all Okay. Not at all. All right, good. Uh, I can't so do that. Lastly, the last quote that he ends is, I definitely support that more people actively involved in protocol decision-making make such statements. So basically, he's saying if you are in charge of determining whether where a major blockchain is going, you should disclose your financial incentives. Interesting little call to action there. Yeah. Okay. You know, you know Kareem, you know what time it is? Before we even do this, before we move on to the next thing, what? I'm gonna roast what? Vitalik's portfolio. I am gonna, oh. I am gonna sit here. I'm gonna have a portfolio. I just came up with this off the top of my head, and I was gonna roast uh, somebody else's portfolio later in the show. That like, I, 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 they were. It was early adopter. I was gonna get him, but, but we're gonna push that back to a different show. Right now, Vitalik is on the forefront of my mind. I just saw his, just saw his portfolio, and here's what I have to say. Really? 50,000 Ethereum? That's like that's like 20 transactions worth of Ethereum. And you created it. So how can you <laughs> only have that much Ethereum in your portfolio? Get the fuck out of here. So, uh, okay, on top of that, Kyber Network. We have been over how stupid the name of the Kyber Network is and how Star Wars has no place in blockchain. You're really going to support the Kyber Network over to, uh, and Maker. Maker, is it, did you pick Maker because you thought you were God? And you wanted to be considered the maker. Interesting thought. Think about that. Send us an email whether you think Vitalik has got a God complex. Omise go or Omise go, as I like to call it, 
is another those guys have been trying to come up with plasma for like two years another startup company came up with plasma in like six months and they only got funded a hundred thousand dollars stupid oh my's go auger yeah you you want to bet on people assassinating people and and getting sick and stuff like that go over to auger finally bitcoin yeah you can't blame him for bitcoin but like he also has bitcoin cash so pick a side bro and uh, he's got Zcash, obviously one of the worst privacy coins ever. Doesn't have Monero at all. What is wrong with this guy? And Doge, that's all right. <laughs> and that was Brent roasting Vitalik's portfolio. Make sure you send this over to Vitalik so that he can make better decisions <laughs> in the future. That Actually, the hap- what would make me very happy is if he got just that audio clip and took it seriously and then yelled at us. That would be great. <laughs> Well, don't hold your breath. So, Binance delisted some coins, Brent. Tell me about it. Who's going down? Binance delisted some more coins. And I love it when Binance delists these like shitty projects because these shitty projects paid a lot of money to get on Binance before with their total not a listing fee but donation that was part of, you know, whether they got on or not. So, <laughs> Cloak something I've never heard of modem M O D U M not E it not to be confused with the thing that you're using to listen to us right now. Uh, wings salt and salt. Yeah. Salt is salty. They're, they're down. Um, they were like a lending platform that really never did anything worthwhile. As far as I could tell, not that like these lending platforms are necessarily, you know, bastions of, (laughs) of not scams, but, um, but, yeah, salt was salt was something that interested me at some point earlier in my career, and then I looked at it and decided it was kind of weird and never invested in it. And finally, I Kareem, the same thing because well, go ahead. I remember that. when I heard about salt, uh, it just sounded like something different that when it really ended up being, and when you started looking yeah. at the details, it had a lot of gaps. But and finally, go ahead. And finally, Kareem, you guessed it. Our favorite coin, Substratum, has been Bitcoin delisted nuts. from Binance. <laughs> So, Finally. yeah, Substratum has been delisted from Binance. CZ even specifically tweeted about that one, saying that it was because the founders were trading the ICO funds actively and he wasn't about having that on his platform, to which the Binance or, or which the Substratum community said, no, we didn't. No, we weren't. And they basically released this whole statement saying that they weren't trading the funds and blah, blah, blah. I don't know if you remember, but we reported on the show the video that they posted where Justin Tab said they were trading the funds, and he kind of oh like, was almost disdainful about it. He was like, "Yeah, we're gonna tr- we're gonna buy at the bottom of the bands and sell at the top of the bands. That's how it works. We have a full time trader. <laughs> remember Kareem? But he's full time, of course, full time, my friends. So we're gonna get more. I we're gonna get more into that because. I like tooting my own horn. I like being right about things. And we were right about Substratum, of course. Also, an interesting thing that I I was right about, we were right about, but specifically, one of our listeners went and grabbed a quote from me on an episode where it we released it in April. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take the time to toot my own horn again because as we know, that's one of my favorite things to do. And here is the quote by me. I do not recommend them, and I could not recommend them less. They've got some stupid, I don't know, don't use them. Don't use Cryptopia unless you really have to, and realize that if you do, you're taking a big risk. 
that was my Cryptopia rant in April. And as we know, they oh, have been Brent. hacked and gone oh, down. I'm Brent, such you're a so genius. Amazing, Brent. Lyrical genius. Oh my God. Anyway, oh, Brent, other than tuning so my own horn, if you want to hear more about the downfall, like we talked a lot about Substratum, but there was even more that went on behind the scenes of what was going on there. And Brian and William are basically the to the villains to their story because these guys actually go out of their way because of how bad the community has been to them to post and broadcast all of the shady stuff that the community does. And they do it all from a well-researched standpoint. So we'll have them back on. They'll kind of show us more things so you can learn more about what to look for, for red flags and a scam. But also we're going to talk about what happens when you make one of these little communities mad of people who don't do their own research and have invested in something without the intellectual capacity to decide on what is a good and a a bad investment. So we're going to have that. That'll be fun. Um, The criteria for Binance delisting these was their commitment to uh, of the commitment of the team to the project, the level and quality of the development activity, the network slash smart contract stability, the level of public communication, the responsiveness to their periodic due diligence requests, evidence of unethical slash fraudulent conduct and contribution to a healthy and sustainable ecosystem for cryptocurrency. So that is how we that is what we looked at. And Binance needs to delist more coins. There are there are plenty of other projects on Binance that probably need to go. And I'm happy to see that they're doing it and not falling for that trap of like, well, they did pay us all this money. Can we really not or can we we can't just take them off, right? No. And you know, it's it's what we've been saying, man. We did say this from the beginning. The the sector would mature slowly and yes. it's maturing from different angles. We see regulatory process moving forward. We see uh exchanges start to implement you know more stringent rules because it, it's bad for the space as a whole, you know, and it just gets ridiculous with characters that exploit it so insanely, you know, that eventually they know they have to step in. So this is a sign of the sector maturing, and it's good for the community. You're right. Uh, there's still a long way to go, but it's good that we're moving in that direction. Yeah, and there's a section of the community that's going to say that it's that is BS, that there's a centralized authority making that choice. You can still go trade these coins on decentralized exchanges if you want to. Nobody's stopping you. Right. But the centralized piece where people are intentionally trusting that centralized authority when you're on Coinbase, you're trusting Coinbase. When you're on Binance, you're trusting Binance. Binance is not completely squandering that trust at this point. So it's nice. Absolutely. And I would put it to you this way. If you had a retail store that you've sold different products on and you sold the crappy product, you knew that it was a low quality product. You have every right as a reasonable business person to say, you know what? I don't want to sell this crappy product to my customers because they come back pissed off and stuff and I don't yep. want them to get ripped off. So I'm going to stop serving this or selling this all right kareem let's move on to this next story i think you are gonna have something to say and we might have a guest appearance from that's a scam oh hello mr matos i'll tell you what is not a scam well i mean it's criminal justice (laughs) i don't know yeah that's kind of (laughs) it's kind of a bad transition you know what else is a scam so here's what's happening you guys remember biconic Huh? We remember this, of course. We talk about them all the time. Well, it's one of the funny things is that sometimes it feels like they totally got away with it, right? Like, in some ways, nothing happened, it feels yes. like. Yes. I know there's been some stories about some leads, but 
I remember like one executive got arrested somewhere, I want to say in Asia, right, Brett? Uh, I don't remember no, the exact uh, It was story. India, I think, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, which, which is in Asia, but... My account is Asia. Being more specific. <laughs> yes, thank you. So this story is that it looks like the FBI is now mounting a case and they're looking for people who were victimized. This was initiated by the fact that uh, somebody in Ohio uh, went to the Cleveland FBI and they have now been like starting to gather people who invested in BitConnect to get information. Uh, they estimate that the loss was between two and a half and three and a half billion dollars. Now, Jesus. I wonder, I wonder how much that's taking into account, like the peak. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, I yeah, wonder. It, if this it probably is, like- is taking in the max peak because you got to really rile up the FBI to get them to look at something. So exactly, yeah, exactly. When- so at this point, they're coming down with the hammer. They wanna, they wanna see the high estimates, right? Yeah, when I reached out to them about the the PPC though that we've mentioned like on the scams episode where they they stole about $500,000, they didn't even want to look at it. They, it was just like you know, they never got back to me nothing. Like 500,000 is not even a blip on the FBI's radar. Yeah, that's kind of crazy, but I guess it makes sense uh, depending on volume or size. Uh, but, so yeah, this is a big scam. Uh, according to the FBI by the way, I mean, we kind of know this, but the tipping point, the destruction really happened once the Texas and South Carolina cease and desist orders came in and it started to implode. They said that it's difficult to get victims because there was an anonymous process where you got like a number instead of uh, a name. So it was easier to like invest anonymously. Uh, so anyway, this was just like a <laughs> – that's what the FBI say. <laughs> you know who wasn't a victim? Trevon James, he was not a victim. So you, the FBI, you don't have to contact him. You know who else wasn't? Crypto Nick, he was not a victim. You don't have to contact him either. I wonder what happened to that kid. Uh, so here's here's the thing, uh, Brent. You're not far off, and I thought this part was interesting. So they had a questionnaire at the bottom. It, it, they had a link. It said, if you lost money with BitConnect, click here and fill out this questionnaire. And I wanted to look at it. Pretty standard stuff, name, stuff. How did you hear about BitConnect and all this? And how much did you invest? But it's interesting in the in the question that said, "How did you hear about BitConnect?" It said, "Friend, YouTube, event, other." So they are very well aware <laughs> that YouTube was a primary force. It was. It's literally like friend, YouTube, event. I mean, <laughs> so they're covering like you know, friend, which is fine. They're covering the people that I just mentioned and. And when they say event, I think they're being pretty specific. That's a scam. So that man, because mm-hmm. he was on stage <laughs> at an event. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder, because there were cryptocurrency conferences and stuff going all around, I wonder if people from, if anybody, if these people were going to conferences to try to recruit people or talk to people. or I mean, who knows? Um, but yeah, crazy stuff, man. The FBI is coming down with the hammer. Uh, so something to keep an eye out. I would love to see the people highest in this pyramid scheme get consequences because like a lot of the pyramid schemes that go down in the United States don't ever see the consequences because they skirt around the pyramid scheme thing by having a legitimate product. This is one of those times where I'm hoping the United States doesn't see the BitConnect token as a legitimate product and they see it as just a straight up pyramid scheme here and are able to prosecute all the people up the chain. Yeah. I mean, look, at the end of the day, man, I think the one thing most people would agree on is we just need a little more evenly distributed justice. It just sucks that white collar crime is so easy to get away with, it seems. All right. (laughs) Speaking of trying to get away with white collar crime, 
let's add a little James Bond twist and get back to the quadratica. Quadriga. I always get it wrong. Quadriga. God, Kareem, I thought we were done talking about Quadriga CX. Like, we've said all there is to say, right? Like, there's, there's, it's pretty obvious that dude faked his death, and it's pretty obvious that something is going to go down. But there is more, Kareem. Believe it or not, there's more to this story that is worth reporting on that is not just rehashing everything that we've already talked about. Are you sure? Are you just trying to get clicks? Are you just being the social media whore? I'm going to kind of blow your mind here a little bit if you didn't read ahead. Okay, let's go. I so, have no idea what you're going to talk about. <laughs> there there was a 7,500-word report published from a company called Zero Nonsense with a C-E-N-C-E. So the word zero, non, and then C-E-N-C-E uh, about the activities of the cold wallets on Quadriga CX. Ooh. You can get to the that report in the show notes. The report is huge. The report is huge. There are pictures there are addresses, there are links. So like, even if you take the report at 7,500 words at face value, there are tons and tons of links to wallets and transactions and everything on the blockchain. So actually unpacking that report going start to finish would take you a long time. And the company, from what I can gather, has a pretty good reputation. And I am going to take at face value that this research is accurate. You don't have to take that at face value because we have it in the show notes, which are now clickable. If you were on iTunes, they weren't before because we're dumb, (laughs) but they are now. And if you want to pop in there and check it out for yourself, please do. Again, you always have to know your biases and finish off the research. Do your own. We say that every episode. But anyway, uh, for the purposes of this, I'm going to just assume that their research is accurate. And this is the quote at the start of their conclusion to just drive this home. The research above should not be considered premature or speculative. The results are definitive and the flow of transactions going both in and out of the website, apart from the last wallet that was covered. So I guess one of them is a little bit questionable should make the conclusions stated in the beginning of this report readily apparent. So they are being very unequivocal and not saying that this might be the case. They're saying that this is the case and they provided all necessary proof to say that. And Brett, you said website, but you meant wallets, right? Uh, wait, what? In and out of the wallets. Oh, <laughs> Just yes. Just to be clear. No, 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 no. They said website. So I think they were meaning oh. like in and out uh, from the Quadriga website, money coming in from the people and then going oh, okay, to these gotcha. wallets. So I think that's what they're referring to. Because they're right, being so very clear that this was the money from the people that were depositing onto Quadriga. So this was paraphrased pretty nicely by random short dude on Reddit. um, And I'm just uh, giving him some credit because I'm going to steal this here. It in total Quadriga CX sent and liquidated about $400 million from each of the associated wallets that we just talked about. So Brent, are you interpreting that to mean 400 per wallet? uh, Yeah. Yeah. So in total transactions moving around. Um, that now that means that, that some of those were probably legitimate transactions, I guess, but there are multiple wallets and that is, so this is more than they got away with in the end, but this is, they were examining where these transactions were going, what they were doing and how the exchange was operating. Right. In total, uh, or I already said that, sorry. Uh, the cold wallets are associated with a significant amount of criminal activity. The criminal activity includes, but not limited to, dark markets, child pornography, fraud, identity theft, hacking, black hat services, drug trafficking, and human trafficking. 
So they have very specifically sent money to all of those sectors. They also had no potential middlemen. It's not like they followed these coins through three wallets and found that they ended up in a child pornography ring. Like they went right there and they from the from the quadriga cold wallet yes and they wanted would this to be explained by a withdrawal brent sorry i'm just curious like wouldn't it like if a customer was just withdrawing their own their own funds i from don't quadriga? know the answer to that but i don't think so unless it was the actual child pornography people withdrawing their funds from quadriga right that's what i'm saying i'm okay. gonna clarify this a little bit to be clear there were hardly any legitimate legal oh, transactions wow. okay. on these wallets hardly any so I think that if they they singled out these wallets in particular as like this was Quadriga doing shady shit and a significant amount of customer funds were siphoned into these specific wallets. And here's the kicker. I told you we were going to mention Tether. The exchange Bitfinex received tens of millions of dollars from these cold wallets. Some of the funds that were sent to Bitfinex were of questionable legal nature. So I guess they came from one of those illegal areas. That is crazy because Tether was super scary. there, about to implode and we weren't sure how it kind of stopped. Yes. Right. We, we all saw it coming. It, it sounds like Bitfinex got an influx from whatever shady shit was going on here or was maybe involved in some money laundering or something. I don't know. Uh, but that was the last name I expected to have pop up when I was reading this report. So, or reading the summary of the report anyway. And finally, like uh, some of the transactions recurred uh, that or that occurred within the cold wallets were significantly implicated or were significantly implicated involvement with the Pesa Obazo slash Ego Pay, and I don't know what those are. So I just wanted to mention that because it was one of the conclusions that they came to. So I didn't even look into what those are. Uh, controlled entities so yeah that on top of so yeah that we said that this dude might have been you know going all in on crypto and doing shady shit it sounds like he was doing a lot of shady shit and that bitfinex thing is crazy man i i just googled news for it and i couldn't find anything on it off the bat this seems like a huge accusation i mean that has to be looked into yeah that well the, the report had just come out hours before i was researching it last night and you had to dig to find that particular part. So I'm hoping hmm. that somebody is able to get to Bifinex and be like, yo, WTF, explain this and what's going on here. And it's just an interesting thought because my fears on Tether have become less urgent, I guess I would say, but they haven't gone away. And it would make some specific sense that, yeah, they got millions of dollars from these people to cover their insolvency. It would also explain, let's just get um, speculative here, with no evidence, everybody, this is not Info an accusation. Hat. Yeah, this is just us having a little fun. But anyway, wouldn't that also explain this emphasis and defensive strategy by Tether to be like, to isolate specific points in which they had X amount of cash with no transaction history yeah. or whatever, right? They're like, on January 17th at 17.03... We had $80 million, right? So it's like, you know, it can make even more sense as, as something that's like, all right, you guys can use this money or hold this money temporarily, or I don't know. It's interesting. Whatever is going on there. And again, nothing nothing really big from Canadian authorities. I mean, I'm assuming now it's going to, right? Because see, now, here's my prediction. Now it has to take off if this gets proven true, because that means mainstream media is going to get to say, 
cryptocurrency exchange was funding child pornography ring yeah. was terrorism blah 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 inventor like faked his death i mean i mean ceo so it was already covered mainstream media but apparently not covered very much in canada itself like i know people covered it here and our non-crypto friends were like haha did you hear about this and i'm like ah yeah i heard about it you want to know more and i told them the, the crazy story behind it and they're like oh my god that's insane now i have even more to tell those people and they come to me yeah th- this may get more and more traction because of what these people were involved in here this is this is nuts i mean i think we're gonna find out a lot that we didn't want to find out about some of the richest people in crypto this is crazy this is, this is like the opposite note, of Vitalik. <laughs> I, how do these people, I don't know, sometimes I'm amazed. I wonder like the path that somebody followed to end up where they ended up. Like, don't they know that if they are doing something like this, they're going to get triangulated and caught and found? Like, how do, how does one plan to get away with yeah, something? Like I don't even I, you understand. Know, it, originally, they didn't think that. I mean, originally, everybody thought Bitcoin was just anonymous, but they misinterpreted it. this guy's doing the, this now. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway. Anyway, not good. Links are in the show notes if you want to check out that report more specifically and maybe find some even better insights that we haven't yet covered. All right. That's enough. I guess that could have actually been in this section here. Yeah, but maybe. Kareem, it's time for Crypto Around the World. That's right, Brent. Crypto around the world. And this is the most international story uh, that we've had in crypto around the world in a long time. This was kind of cool. Oh, that's right. I found a report as well. I was stumbling. So this really came from a news story that I found that said that a new report was saying that South Africa was the number one place to hold crypto. The most popular place for cryptocurrencies is South Africa. Very interesting. So I got interested in this report and I dove in. So we're talking about a report that recently came out and it's called Digital 2019, Essential Insights into How People Around the World Use the Internet, Mobile Devices, Social Media, and E-Commerce. And I want to take right away a time out because... Brent, we recently did an episode about how to spot scams. Um, Not that we're identifying scams here, but we've had episodes on critical thinking or source analysis. And I just wanted to mention that as I was reading this, before I've even gotten a chance to explore the source, my skepticism was actually slightly diminished or I trust the source more. Because if this is a report on social media, internet, and all this kind of stuff, you're talking about very mature industries where it's harder for a report like that to get popular uh, without having like some validity and truth to it. It'll just get demolished by the people in the industry that know. Crypto being smaller and less developed, you can get a lot of fire going and a lot of popularity by just like complimenting the right coin. Like just write a report <laughs> that says Tron is the shit and then it's like yep. it can circulate very quickly. So this not being a cryptocurrency report, but just being a technology report that included cryptocurrency made me trust it more, if that makes sense. Knowing the biases, knowing the biases, maybe when when you know somebody who is invested in in, in a Binance coin tries to promote BitTorrent token, you think about what are they thinking? Why are they doing that? And here, <laughs> Kareem knows his biases and he's ready to examine and trust this report. Good stuff, Brent. Really good stuff. So, (laughs) 
Uh, gonna get a little bit into the details of the report. We are gonna put a link in there if you want to check it out because you know it's it's an easy read. It's like a very infographical and stuff like that. Nothing tedious, but it was based on a six month. 2018 uh, six-month study where they looked at participants ages 16 to uh, 64 all around the world and check where they are technologically. So South Africa was number one in part because they have a very like free regulation right now. They don't have a system in place. And the stats, by the way, for I'm about to give some stats for cryptocurrency users. This is as a percentage of internet users. So okay. it's not really as a percentage of the population, is as a percentage of people who use the internet. That's how we're calculating cryptocurrency use. Between the ages of 16 and 64. Correct. So Correct. some of those old people that use the internets aren't counted. That's true. That's a good point. A little ageist. So the global average, Brent, was 5.5%. On average, Ooh. around the globe, 5.5% of people who have access to the internet also own cryptocurrencies. In South Africa, the number one country, this number was 10.7%, more than almost twice as much. And then we go Thailand at 9.9%. Indonesia. Shout out to Beyond Blocks in the number two market. Beyond Blocks, Thailand. Good choice. Number two market in the world. Well, actually, Thailand has more people. So my guess is if they they would have a wider base, there's probably a lot more cryptocurrency owners in Thailand than in South Africa. Right. So it's probably, you know, the number one I market, mean, yeah. Yeah. I had to throw this in here. This really shocked me, Brent. The percentage of Colombian internet users that have crypto is 7.7%. The US is 5.3%. So we seem to have more penetration in Colombia and in Indonesia and in Thailand. And we could either look at that from a perspective of, oh, maybe these people are paying more attention or more access, but also... Maybe it's about financial security. Maybe people in Thailand or Colombia uh, have a higher need or desire to convert their currency into something that's not their local currency than an American. Maybe. I don't know. Or like you told me, don't walk around in Colombia with any cash on you because they might just steal it. So maybe they want to maybe they want to walk around with crypto on them. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you can walk around with some cash, but, you know, don't be flashy is what I said. Don't be flashy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Don't, Don't be don't be flossing. You told me if I was betting $15 a hand in blackjack, they'll like look over my shoulder. It wasn't <laughs> right, so, that bad. It was way less bad than you thought it was, I think. No, I just told you not to be flashy because you're taking you take unnecessary risk. It's not like I have family in Colombia. I know you could walk around with cash. That's how you pay for stuff. <laughs> All right. So uh, Africa dipped surprisingly well lot, from an adoption perspective. Sorry. Good. Very, thank you, Toto. Uh, <laughs> part of the reason, unstable currencies, like we were saying, um, it it was a, it is a leading destination for remittances. I dove in a little deeper. I wanted to go beyond crypto. Uh, so just some general technology stuff beyond that I blocks. thought was interesting. <laughs> beyond blocks. <laughs> Second <laughs> mention. Uh, that we, yeah, um, the big story here, Brent, is that internet access is internet, the growth in internet users is actually accelerating. This year, 360 million people came online for the first time. And that is an, more than 1 million per day. More than 1 million people per day are being connected for nuts. the first time. Exactly. It is kind of nuts. That's huge growth. Uh, and we're still only 
We now have fifty-seven percent of the world's population connected to the internet. Kind of cool. Feels so low. It's so crazy. Exactly. Exactly. It's it, it's insane because you feel like we'd be much more connected, but at the same time, it is exciting that we're starting to get to that clear majority, right? Yeah. And again, this growth is accelerating. The number of people who are coming online, it's actually becoming more and more every single day. On the other hand, mobile usage as growth has started to slow down only 100 million new users. But the reason for that is that they already crossed the two-thirds threshold. Two-thirds of the world is on mobile. I got some cool statistics here about internet usage and internet speeds. Uh, so when we're talking about access to internet, Andorra, Aruba, Bermuda, Iceland, Qatar, they were at 99%. And then you still have countries like Denmark and all the European and GDC, the OECD, they're like in the 98, 97. Uh, this is kind of sad, but once you get to a lot of sub-Saharan African countries, you're in the 5, 7, 6%. Chad is at 5%. Eritrea, uh, which is in East Africa, 1.4%. And then yeah. North Korea, 0.08%. <laughs> Talk about just the ruling class. <laughs> do you remember that Vice documentary? Of course where, I do. The, with yeah, the one the, guy... <laughs> that's yeah, the only a, guy in they, all they of North Korea into, that has access yeah they walk into a fake office building everybody's just like staring at the screen but not doing anything and like one computer has is actually on Google and when they get to the guy he's just like staring at Google like he's like the, the, home the Google page. homepage he's, he's not like Googling yeah. anything he's just looking at a blank Google screen and then when they get there, he like keeps looking at the screen and he's like, oh, and then he like minimizes the screen. And he's like, yeah, hey, sorry, you interrupted me from <laughs> staring at the Google homepage. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, they totally have internet. All right. Uh, <laughs> some more statistics that I thought were interesting. Time spent online. The global average for internet users is six and a half hours a day. The United States was right around the average at 6.2. Um, at the very top, we had countries like the Philippines at 10 hours a day, uh, Thailand and Colombia were at nine hours a day. And then towards uh, the lower end, Germany, France, Holland were about four and a half hours a day of internet usage. And Japan, the disciplined people of Japan, just 3.75 hours a day. They know how the to be present and disconnected. And productive. And productive, probably. Although it's not surprising that a country like the Philippines is at 10 because I feel like some large-ish portion of their population outsources their work to other to other countries like virtual assistants and stuff like that. So you would – yeah, they're they're going to spend 16 hours a day online because they're doing everything there and it's going to skew the numbers. That's, that's a great point, Ben. And I would, I would actually make sense also why Colombia's number is so high. I was thinking about that and that's also what I concluded that you know so many people – like a lot of employment in Colombia is just people that know how to speak English getting like doing call centers and stuff for American companies. So right, right, right. Yeah, they're working on that. All right, uh, internet speeds. I know this one's dear to our hearts, Brent. The average internet speed around the world in 2018 was 54 megabits per second. The U.S. Uh, had doubled the average at 109 really? megabits per second. I yeah, we were tied we were with Canada and Sweden. Well, not the average, because remember, now you're going with the global average is including Southeast Asia, Africa, South America. You yeah. know what I'm saying? But we are definitely not near the top. We had 109. That's double the average. But check it out. South Korea, 120 megabits per second at number three. <laughs> Let's Hong compare Kong. North Korea and South Korea, Kareem. <laughs> yeah. North Korea, 
less than 0.1% of the people in the entire population are even allowed on the internet. And in South Korea, they have the fastest internet speeds in the world. The third fastest. Number two is in Hong Kong, Brent, at 160 megabits per second. And number one is Singapore. Singapore has an average speed of 190 megabits per second. That is four times the global average and twice as much as the United States. Yep. Makes I know the United States is kind of behind-ish on, on internet speeds. And honestly, saying that the United States has 109 average is pretty insane because I don't think I've ever lived anywhere with that much. You know, I've never had yeah, internet I, that fast. That's interesting. I always feel like I'm getting chipped on speeds as well. Um, last last statistics I'm going to mention, uh, that we, they talked about the global literacy rate. Now, globally, we are at 83% of females know how to read and write and 90% of males know how to read and write. That's globally. Of course, it's almost 100% in most developed countries. Right. And you remember we had a conversation once where I made a comment that the internet was very American. That like, when, yeah, especially very... you notice this when you're from another country, right? Right, yes. Th- these are statistics that actually really show how dominant it is. They were showing the languages of websites, Brent. 5% of the internet is in Spanish, 6% percent is in German, 6% in Russian, 54% of the internet is in English. Wow. And more than what half. What percentage of that is Russian trolls? Of the 6%? Oh, uh, hmm, uh, that's a 54%. Good <laughs> well, I'm assuming 1% of the 6% of Russian is training the trolls, so 5%. Okay, that's a, that's a great estimate. Good job. Uh, anyway, so the links are there. You can go check out the report. It was interesting. I felt like it was a good topic for crypto around the world. We'll do technology around the world. Uh, who knows? Maybe we'll keep an eye on this and hit it again in next time it comes out. Awesome. Awesome coverage. Uh, I already did, I was going to move us into a roast, but like I said, I already did one of Vitalik, so I'm not going to do multiples. That, yeah, that one, sh- one that, roast in episode. We don't even have it on every episode because that gets old. I had a rant that I came up with over the course of the show, and I forgot it. I feel really bad about that. Riveting stuff. I, I legitimately was like, ah, I can't wait to talk about that in the rant section. And then it was gone. So I'm sorry, everybody. When I think of that rant, trust me, I'm going to give it to you. But You're going to hear it. Yeah. Can't think of it now. Anyway, sorry about that. But what I'm not sorry about is our Patreon members. I am super excited about our Patreon members. And I'm going to talk about them now. When we talk about joining the Patreon, we're asking if you could spare a dollar an episode because if you can, it keeps us alive around. Patreon members don't get the monthly sponsorship reads that we do or anything like that. They add free experience. They get a lot of other perks. Non-fungible tokens are coming to the Patreon members shortly. I just haven't had the time to make them because I have to graphically design them. But... Since this is the last flagship of the month, Kareem, I am going to do a special shout out to all of our Ooh. Patreon members from our secure node and master node levels. So I would like to give a special shout out to all these members that are donating at least $2 an episode at the secure node level. This dingus in your mouth. What's up? Thanks for donating. Amea Vaidya. God, I should really ask him how to pronounce his name. That's Degenerate Brahmin. Thanks again for being a patron. The Z-Man is there. He also was recently featured on the show as a political action committee. And is that what PAC stands for? I think it's what PAC stands for, right? 
Uh, Jeff, j- still just Jeff, got a, the the man with one name, and Steve Staples, Stephen Francis Stapleton, he's there, also at the secure node level. Finally, at the master node level, we've got Marcel, Bitcoin Mexico, Bozio, Andrew Giles, Robert Laverty, the bigger boat, and Simon Gordon. Thank you all of you for helping us out, keep us afloat, keep us alive. <laughs> and as some of those $5 members get to their 90-day anniversaries, they're going to get to make us read a sentence. So I don't know if that's going to end up being like ad-related or more like they're going to make me say I love Bitcoin private or something like that. But we'll see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> laying it up, laying it up. So thanks again, guys. And Brent, before I sign us off here, any parting words? <laughs> guys and brent well my parting words are join us on the discord get in there get in the conversation lots of cool stuff going on uh very often stories that we cover on the flagship we'll post about them in the discord and bs about them kareem was getting yelled at for being a dictator recently in there so he went ahead and accepted that burden in the discord and (laughs) and went right into it won't say how but if you want to see let me just be clear. I have been the target of the propaganda campaign perpetrated by an evil Machiavellian uh, leader over here. And Brent, uh, he's, he's manipulating this whole thing. But I am laying down for the people. Go ahead. I'm backing out. I'll accept my... Uh, what is it? Yeah, I'll be the hero This the people need. Not to I, know, I think the villain is, is what you're... <laughs> Kareem, you either die a hero or you live long enough to become the villain. I mean that hmm. that's what uh, okay. Elon Musk is trying to accomplish right now. I'm going to I'm going to die a political hero. I saved us from turning away new listeners at the beginning. Now that they <laughs> ha- are all brainwashed by our amazingness, we can call uh, we can call everybody whatever you want. But this is the most important part that you need to remember when you listen to Crypto Basic. We are not financial advisors. We are not cryptocurrency experts. Just a bunch of guys talking crypto. So make sure you do your research. All investments have inherent risk. Thanks again for joining us. And if you enjoyed this, make sure you rate us on iTunes. My name was Karim Baruchin. I was here with Brent Philbin. Thanks again for tuning in. 